125 years of faithfulness. We've already celebrated that. We've clapped and we've enjoyed the music. You can't be around for 125 years without learning something. So what have we learned? Or what should we have learned? And I would like to offer a list of about 10 things. Uh, I'll take about 15 minutes apiece and we'll be out of here by 2 o'clock. <laughs> the first thing that I have written down is learn, learn to leave room for the unexpected in life. To be honest with you, nobody is more surprised to be here today than I am. I spoke, after all, at the 100th anniversary. And if someone would have said, you will be speaking at the 125th, I would probably respond by saying, I'll have what you're having. Well, you know, uh, here I am, here I am, and it, and it is unexpected. Nobody is more surprised than I am, and yet at the same time, one has to look back and see the hand of God guiding in things. I remember something that happened at that, uh, at that banquet. We had the uh, president of the Salt Lake Ministerial Association in our midst, uh, a, father, a gentleman by the name of Lou Fisher. He's a big, tall guy with a, a long neck and a big uh, Adam's apple, and he looks something like a sandhill crane. Well, he... Uh, he got up and, and said, you know, I, I'm glad to be here representing uh, the, the Protestant and, and at that time, you know, Catholics were all Protestants and so forth, all under the subtitle Gentiles anyway. So he, he said, you know, Utah, Utah is an interesting place. It is the only place where standing around with a cigar in one hand and a drink in the other is called relevant Christian witness. I thought that was really pretty neat. Really pretty neat. Yeah. One thing that I said at that little talk of mine was that it may be a very spiritual thing for us to do here, and that is to put some, some solar reflectors up on the gym, gym uh, roof over there and catch the rays of the sun. Back 25 years ago I said that, and I understand that that's a kind of lively discussion going on right now. Isn't that interesting? Nothing like a time, an idea whose time has come. Nobody is more surprised. The second thing I think is that not only you have to leave room for the unexpected, you have to have a sense of humor. There are some, some weird people around here, and they do some funny, funny things. And they've been around for a long time. One of them was the pastor that was in charge during those days when uh, the building was brand new. He was not used to preaching up here. And so when he got ready to uh, get out into the middle and kind of mix it up, and, and he was one who had all kinds of flares and so forth and so on, well, he took a turn here over to the left and didn't realize this railing was here. And he flipped over that thing and landed there. Swallowtails and all, bounced up there and bounced up on his 
upon his feet and continued on with what he was doing. You have to have a sense of humor. Then I was told about the Great Cascade. The Great Cascade. This comes from my wife. And this was also back in the days when the place was brand new. They scheduled a baptism. But nobody remembered how deep to fill it or didn't even think about how deep to fill it. So they filled it. And when Finn and the, and the candidates got in, why, there was a big displacement and water came flashing out over here. People in the choir thought they were going to drown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have a sense of humor about some things. I understand that there was a pastor over there in the, in the uh, uh, Skaggs Chapel doing a wedding. And everything was going along. The bride and the groom were up front there with him. And all of a sudden, that strapless dress became a topless dress. And, 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 and the, 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 the pastor is, is left wondering what to do. Do you grab a hold and sack her back up? Or do you just leave your hands back off and leave things alone? Which leads me to my second or third point here. And that is, you have to learn to keep a straight face. <laughs> when everything inside you cries out to laugh or break out in a chorus of June is busting out all over, you've got to restrain that and carry, carry on through. The pastor being who he was, I'm sure carried it off rather well. Yeah, you have to learn to keep a straight face. Uh, especially when somebody ambushes you out in the hall before you come in here to preach or something like that, or, or at a funeral. You know, tells you some kind of a howling joke. Yeah, that one right there. You, 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 you have to compose yourself quickly. Bill Stone on a Sunday night, some remember Bill Stone, some don't. He was a business manager here. He was a retired uh, missionary out to Kodiak, Alaska. All-around good guy. Well, Bill told me a story. Told me a story of creation. God was in the Garden of Eden. Well, not quite the Garden of Eden yet. He was just creating stuff. He was creating the seas, creating the land, separating putting the fish into the water and all that kind of thing. And, and then he, was, uh, he, he, he created the animals, uh, you know, male and female. And then he created man, male and female. And he took a look at the whole thing. He said, hey, that's not bad. That's not bad. And they all were standing around. They were eating fruit. And those that didn't eat fruit ate grass. They were all having a pretty good time. When all, when all at once God said, go forth and multiply. Well, Adam yelled, yippee, and grabbed hold of Eve and headed off into the woods, along with all of the other animals. Well, God's kind of sitting there chuckling about everything he's hearing, you know. And then he looks down, and then here's two little snakes. Why aren't you out there multiplying? The snakes pop back, because we're adders. Now, don't go killing the messenger. 
I got even with him for that, and I'll tell you how I did it. I told it at his funeral. So stuff has a way of coming, stuff has a way of coming back, coming back. Somebody ambushes you at a funeral service. That man over there, and I work for the uh, same guy from time to time, called the Reynolds Funeral Chapel. I uh, would come over and do a funeral, and he would play. We never knew each other personally at that time. But what we did know, we knew about old man Reynolds. Now, old man Reynolds had this nasty habit of getting you in the hearse between the, between the funeral chapel and the cemetery and telling you some kind of a howler. And so that when you get out of the hearse and you go walking back, you know, to lead the procession to the grave, you know, you got this look on your face, you know, like you've been drinking cocktails in there on the way to the cemetery. Well, this is what he told me. He said, you know, one time, he said, do you know what the doe said? No, what did the doe said say? I'll never do that for two bucks again. Now, I understand, you know, he, he, he controls everything with the organ, but he also controls everything with the casket. Old man Reynolds was, was yakking away one time and, and uh, taking time and uh, talking about this and talking about that and getting everybody kind of out of, out of, out of position and all that. And so what does, uh, what does your good organist do? He's behind the casket. He gives the old casket a big shove and hits old man Reynolds in the butt and drives him right on out of the funeral home. This is your organist. Yeah, you have to keep a straight face. You have to keep a straight face when the lady of the house answers the door in her negligee. Now, you don't know. See, you have a quandary. You don't know whether she's expecting you or whether you're interrupting something. That's when you have to rely on your folk wisdom, something that Kenny Rogers tells us. You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to, yeah, run, yeah, just run as fast as you can. It pays to have a sense of humor. It pays to have a sense that something could happen about any time, and you have to be able to handle a straight face. And this is just not rules for pastor. It's rules for everybody. But it also pays to have a sense of forbearance. Forbear one another in Christian love, says Paul. Forbearance, bearing one another. I remember one time we had a, a rather heated discussion at a prayer meeting. We used to have dinners on Wednesday nights and have prayer meetings. And two of the, two of the very, very fine people in the, in the church got really wound up into an argument and said some pretty stiff things to each other. And it wasn't until about 10 o'clock the next morning, both of these men had come onto the phone and, and uh, uh, apologized for what they had done and then apologized to each other. Forbearance. It takes a ton of forbearance, especially if you're going to operate something, this, a program like this, with the out, outreach that it has and the, and the congregation that it has. We must forbear one another in love. Forbear, if that word is a little too ancient for you, it means bearing with. We need to bear with each other. Bear with each other until we can rejoice once again. Number five, faithfulness is not a matter of success. 
It's not a matter of success. It's a matter of being open to the Spirit and trying. If one measures faithfulness and all by Christ's own experience, you recognize that, you know, he failed in a whole host of ways. A whole host of ways. And yet through it all remain faithful to his call. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Number six. Things go better when we love each other. Things go better when we love each other. Hate can ruin a darn good day. And more than one, when we get caught up in a cycle of hatred. Love one another and things will go better. I was in, you know, this, is, this is my experience, I, you know, I was in this whole debate over uh, homosexuality and the denomination and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, I was coming off the wall one way and off the wall the other way. And I, 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 you know, talked to myself while I was walking the dogs a lot. And this was while I was still in St. George. And then it came to me. You don't have to hate. You don't have to hate. You can be a lover and things will go a whole lot better for everybody. The seventh thing, and this is the perfect number, and this is the reason why I threw this one in at number seven, is being faithful over the long haul means keeping your eyes on Jesus. Now that might sound trite, but let me tell you, it really is relevant. I've watched churches get into little uproars of this kind and that, and the thing that has happened that has caused the death knell to more than one congregation is that people took their eyes off Jesus and started to value other things, you know, like getting even and all this kind of stuff more than they are, you know, they've valued their great commission that was read for us this morning. Take your eyes off the Lord and you get in trouble. Number eight, make sure your faith is in the ultimate. Paul Tillich wrote a book called The Dynamics of Faith, and he calls faith being ultimately concerned. We are, the thing that we are concerned about ultimately is our God. And if it's a temporal kind of thing, then you're into idolatry. But if, in fact, you are concerned ultimately about the ultimate that is the ground of our being, as Tillich says, then you are living faithfully. Make sure that what you worship is indeed ultimate. Then in that same book, he has a, a, a paragraph that talks about faith. Faith admits doubt. Faith admits doubt. Otherwise, it's not faith. You've got to have doubts. If they come in, you know, don't be beating yourself up over the fact that you have doubt. And the flip side of that, or the, the, the corporate side of that, is value the doubters in your midst. Value the agnostics in your midst. Value those that ask the hard questions. And watch out when you are so cocksure of everything. Remember 
what Paul did in fact say, the just shall live by faith. And number 10, a hundred years teaches us that when we've gone as far as we can, as far as we can go doing God's will as we understand it, God steps in. It motivated Luther to say, if we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, a man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, and he shall win the battle. As that Jesus was going down the trail, and I guess they took a little break, and he sits on a rock. And he's just thinking about things, and then he wanders aloud. I should say, wonders aloud. Will there be faith on earth when the Son of Man returns? And I want to say yes. I want to say yes. I want to say that he will bring to fulfillment the good work that he started here 125 years ago. To bring it to its positive, glorious conclusion. Now I don't know how the Spirit moves, revealing Jesus through his word, creating faith, in him but this I know I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day remember I am with you always even to the end of the age let us pray Thank you, Jesus, for trusting us with the Great Commission, with your word for 125 years. And now prepare us for tomorrow and the day after and the day after to respond to your Spirit's call with durable faith and loving hearts. Amen.